to be home. There's no place like home, you know? I was just thinking about, got home last night about, I don't know, midnight or something like that. And it was like, oh, just to be in your own bed. Was, you know, you can stay in the nicest hotels, but there's just nothing like, you know, all of us who travel, like, there's just nothing like being in your own bed. Even if it's not as nice as the hotel bed, there's just something about being in your own bed. I was thinking about... Uh, Bill and Eric have been sharing about wealth today. I, I'm actually going to share about, I want to tell I met with a pope this week. That's where I was. That's part of where I was in Rome. And uh, so I want to tell you about that. And it's going to be good. I was just thinking about, um, Eric was sharing about wealth this morning. And uh, Bill just commented on a little bit on wealth. And I was thinking, just you know, when I went to Rome, I just had my suitcases with me. But my wealth wasn't, my wealth isn't measured by what I had with me when I went to Rome, because Rome's not my home. Reading's my home. So I just think it's kind of funny when, Jesus, when people say Jesus was poor. I'm like, do you know where he lives? <laughs> anyway, I just, and I also think, you know, a guy that can make wine from water, I mean, think about that. Like, the cost of goods sold, very low. Water turned to wine. And then it's better wine than people who worked hard for it. And you don't have to, like, ferment it or anything. You're just like, I don't know. I'm just thinking, like, I, you know, the Bible says Jesus became poor so we could become rich. He died so we could live. So in one sense, I understand Jesus was poor. But... Not in the same sense people think he was, right? I don't know, people, when they get done teaching about Jesus, I have been places recently when they get all done teaching about Jesus, you think Jesus was a transient living under the bridge. <laughs> I'm like, the guy was like crazy rich. He has, the place he lives has golden streets. Anyway, okay, well, I'd, I'd throw in my two cents there. And you know, when you, you, know, you want to go somewhere and you just like, can appear and disappear and you just walk on water and when you need money you just go fishing <laughs> Do you, you know what I'm saying you make you you need food and you, you invite a big crowd and you're like don't worry you got a couple pieces of bread and some fish you know we just break I mean in what in what way what do you need money for <laughs> I don't know about you but it sounds like the economics of Jesus were pretty good that's just I'm just thinking I'm just thinking, well, you know, as a business guy, if Jesus worked for me, I guarantee you I'd be really rich. I'm like, you're working over in the wine department and the bread department and the fish department over there, okay? And like, you don't really need to do anything. It's all right. Every day's, every, every hour's lunch for you. <laughs> anyway, just some thoughts I have. In. I want to be like Jesus. Well, grab a hand and we're going to pray. It's come to that. So, Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing here tonight. And we thank you for just this beautiful season that we're in. We can feel this beautiful season upon us. We just feel like it's, it's, uh, you know, it's spring. I don't know, the birds are singing and stuff. Amen. I, uh, 
I wrote a blog about the Pope, which will um, I'll actually post tomorrow. But I thought it'd be faster to read the blog than it would be to like tell you all the details. But uh, I, a bunch of us got invited. About forty of us got invited to meet the Pope, and we got to um, be. At, we were at the Vatican, and it was very beautiful. I've never been to Rome before. That was very beautiful. The only thing is, you know, when you're Rome, you do as the Romans do. And you know, we were in the Sistine Chapel and went into the bathroom and did. There's no toilet paper in any of the stalls. So I'm like, I don't know what the Romans do, but right now I'm thinking about what would Jesus do? <laughs> Which I was hoping would be much different than the Romans. So we'll leave it at that. And uh, as we're streaming, we'll leave it at that. But we had a really great time. And there was you know, several folks there that I, I didn't know. Um, but um, Mike Bickle was there. And Stacy Campbell... Um, there was uh, several people there that, that you would know that I can't remember right now. But, and so we, we had an opportunity just to sit uh, with, the, with the Pope and a couple of his cardinals for about two hours, two and a half hours. They didn't allow any security in, which I understand like that's super rare. And uh, I think if they would have known some of us, they would have definitely had security. But... <laughs> And um, the Pope just sat with us, and he just told us to relax, and that he just wanted to feel any questions we had, and any comments we'd like to make, and so that's kind of how it started. So I'm going to sort of read you this blog. It's like two or three pages long, probably take me five or seven, eight minutes to read, and then I'll make some comments, and then I have some things I want to share with you personally. This week I had the privilege of meeting with Pope Francis. It was probably one of the highlights of my life. He was funny, warm, and very spiritual. I was invited along with several other pastors to a small connect forum with Pope Francis because he has a deep passion for the unity among believers. And I do mean deep passion. We spent about two hours asking him questions about whatever was on our hearts. His opening comments blessed me. He said, we must invite the prophets back into the church and welcome them with open arms. That was his very first comment. And a, and a bunch of us, a bunch of people looked over at Stacy and I. I'm like, we're, we're good. We like this Pope a lot. <laughs> we like the Pope a lot. I thought it was interesting that this was his opening comment. Of course, many of the pastors looked over at us and smiled. <clears throat> Pope Francis said, theology is a very complicated subject and we should let the theologians argue it out and figure it out. In the meantime, we should love each other and learn how to value people who think differently than ourselves. He made it clear that theology uh, shouldn't divide us. I also think he was making a point that he wasn't a theologian, in that he said they should work it out while we, the people, love each other. He gave us a chance to ask questions. Mike Bickle (laughs) gets the Guts Award. I'm going to go off uh, blog for just a minute. So we... Most of our questions were already scripted, so you could write a question in, and, some, and our moderator talked to their... And obviously, it was all through a translator, so the things I'm sharing here, they're not word for word. They were coming through a translator who also had an accent, so I was doing my best to try to understand what he was saying and think vice versa. But um, So they were asking, you know, what, what questions do you have? And most everybody was, I think, very concerned about making sure that we, we honored Pope Francis. So the questions were very benign, like, you know, 
how do we learn to love one another? It was like, there's no wrong answer to the questions, right? <laughs> so we're, we're doing that for a while. <laughs> like an hour and a half. And it's all very, you know, I mean, we started with a song. It was beautiful. We grabbed hands and sang a song together. That was, that's the opening. We prayed for one another. That was how we opened. So it was very beautiful, very sweet spirit. So we're going along, and it's just very, like, you know, row, row, row your boat. I mean, everybody was just kumbaya. It was just beautiful. Was, it, I, I'm not saying it in a bad way. It's like very beautiful. <laughs> and so then we asked, they asked all the questions that were on the written, the written questions. And then the Pope said, I, I would like to spend some more time with you. So if you have more questions, please feel free to ask. So people were asking, you know, just really simple questions, again, that there was no wrong answer to. And then Mike goes, I got a question. <laughs> and I was sitting next to him, I'm like, This is like when Chris Valentin asked the question, but the whole time I was thinking about Bill was what Bill taught me. He said, don't, don't say everything that comes up on the screen. So I was thinking, I shouldn't say everything that comes up on the screen. And then Bickle's sitting next to me. And so I'll read it. So Mike gets, I wrote, Mike, Mike Bickle gets the Guts Award. Everything was going quite smooth, partly because the, of the benign questions that the pastors were asking. Then Mike stood up and asked the Pope if he believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. There have been rumors circulating that Francis is a universalist. The tension instantly rose in the room. The moderator, the moderator was noticeably shaken. <laughs> but the Holy Father didn't blink an eye. He answered, we might be surprised who we meet in heaven, but the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way into heaven. We all breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Bickle said, thank you. Said, Pope Francis went on to share about his relationship with the Holy Spirit and indicated that he experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't think he used that exact, those exact words, but it was, there was clearly a connotation that he was spirit-filled. Maybe one of the most historic moments happened when the Pope spoke of the atrocities that the Catholic Church had perpetuated on the people through the centuries. Then he asked us all to forgive them for their sins. <laughs> this inspired us to do the same. And suddenly the room was filled with a beautiful spirit of reconciliation. I was also pleasantly surprised by his knowledge of the Bible. He shared. <laughs> Sorry. There's about 40 of us in there, so they probably have a totally different blog and remember it totally differently. He shared several scriptures expounding on some Greek words, their meanings, and the impact they should have on our lives. As our time came to a close, we held hands to pray for one another, and then we gathered to pray for him and he for us. Finally, the Pope got up and greeted each of us, giving us each a gift, a book. He allowed each of us to take photos with him, although he was clearly not a selfie guy. (laughs) I took five pictures with him, you know. The guy is incredibly humble, touchable, and comfortable in his own skin. Although he's obviously famous, he has a way of making everyone in the room relax. I don't think I've ever asked a famous person for a picture because I personally hate being photographed. But I had a mandate from my mother. She said, bring back pictures. (laughs) She told me, bring back pictures of your meeting with the Pope so the relatives will believe that you met with him. Like Jesus, who made wine when he didn't want to, I know how to obey my Spanish mother. (laughs) 
impressions. The meeting was so surreal. I mean, the guy from Weaverville's meeting the Pope. I mean, what are the chances? I've heard so much about Pope in general and the Pope, and Pope Francis in particular. Some think he's the Antichrist, while others call him a false prophet or the leader of the new world order. When I got saved, my leaders taught me that Rome, the Roman Catholic Church was the mother harlot in the book of Revelation. About that time, the Holy Spirit decided to, fall, to fill the Catholics in the same way he did us, Protestants, and suddenly the Catholic charismatic newlyweds were born. It became kind of hard to teach that junk after that, some still do, especially when the person sitting next to you in the meeting was singing in the Spirit, and he's Catholic. Surprise. I posted our meeting with, with Pope Francis on social network pages, and true to nature, many people couldn't help but unleash hell on him. For some, the reconciliation of believers on the earth is a sign of the new world order and the ushering of the Antichrist reign. It's hard to imagine how a proactive move towards loving an entire people group, forgiving one another, and reconciling after 500 years of hatred, persecution, and persecution can lead to the rule of Satan. But religious people can find a problem with every opportunity. It's also disturbing to me how selectively people apply scripture. How do you justify spewing hatred for Catholics in the name of they don't bring salvation to people while ignoring the second commandment to love your neighbor? It's funny to me how people spiritualize their dysfunctions. I think some people need to record themselves and then play it back. They might be surprised at who is really inviting the Antichrist to the planet. In Acts chapter 2, Peter made it clear that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit on everyone. Is it possible that on this 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, that God would take the two and make them one again? I mean, could God, I mean, could God have raised up Pope Francis with the spirit of reconciliation to tear down the walls of mistrust and unforgiveness that have been erected over five centuries between brothers? Three decades ago, Ronald Reagan famously shouted, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. The rest is history. Communism has been crumbling like a house of cards ever since. Pope Francis, once again, is raising the same cry for reconciliation. It feels like the walls of hatred and disunity are finally falling down. But reconciliation always has its detractors. Whether it's Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, male or female, there will always be a spiritual reason for one group that one group feels justified, I'm sorry, there will always be a spiritual reason that one group feels justified in rejecting or reducing another group. When we love people, we are not saying that we agree with them, or even that we value their belief system. We are saying that we love and value them as a person, as another human being, who's made in the image of our beautiful creator. Pope Francis, it's personal. Pope Francis, thank you for having the guts to brave the religious system and reach beyond the borders of tradition to love a group of people, some of which who refuse to love you back. God bless you. You have become one of my heroes. Before we go on, why don't you just grab it? You don't have to stand, but just grab a hand right there, and let's just pray, pray for Pope Francis. Well, Paul hands me some Kleenex. Jesus, we just thank you for this great man. We thank you for the the anointing that you put on his life to reconcile the body. And we thank you for the courage 
that's in this old man to brave the tradition of 500 years of bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness and reach out his hand to people that have not loved him back. And I pray tonight, God, that wherever he's at, that you would fill him again. And that you would give him great wisdom to lead us back to a place of reconciliation. God, may, may you bring the prophets back to the Catholic Church as you've brought the prophets so gracefully back to this place. And Lord, we pray for his health. We pray, God, that you would bless his body, that he would be with us many more years. And God, we pray that you would surround him with prophets who would speak to him about his divine future. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to just talk a little bit about unity. I'm probably not the guy who's wearing the unity sign very much in the sense of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that that's their ministry. And God bless people who have a ministry we don't have because we need everybody in the body, right? But some years ago, and I'm going to just repeat things. I I don't know that I'm going to say anything that you haven't heard before. So if you're, you know, taking notes, you're like, he's going to say something amazing. That guy left early. Just Eric and I left, and Paul and the team. And uh, no, I, I really, um, I really have in my heart just to share some things that you already know. But when I came here, uh, now going on 19 years ago, we were staying in this little apartment, and I was laying on the floor, and I repeated this this encounter I had with God many times, and I think it's at least in one of my books, and probably two. But the Lord said to me. Um, I'm about to pour out revelation on this generation that's been held for the eons of ages. Even the angels long to look into the revelation I'm about to release on this generation. But he said, if I pour out my revelation on this generation, on this wineskin, it will rip the wineskin and the wine will be lost. So I was laying there just on the floor, just in our little apartment. We had been maybe here four months. And I said... Um, what does that mean? He said, well, you're moving. He said, I'm changing the wineskin. I'm, I'm, and, I, and I was having many dreams um, during that first year. And I, I probably won't get into any of them because I've shared them so many times. But he said, we're moving. He said, I am moving the body of Christ from denominationalism to apostleships. Ask me what that means. One of the most repeated words I've shared. If anyone's been here for any length of time, you've heard this at least two or three times. And I honestly had never, um, I've heard the word apostleship was, obviously it's in the Bible, but it isn't a word I've ever heard used by anyone before. And denominationalism, I don't know if I've ever heard that word before. And so I said to the Lord, what does that mean? He said, in denominationalism, in denominationalism, people gather when they agree and they divide when they disagree. He said, but in apostleships, People gather around families. They go, that's my father, there's my brother, my cousin, my uncle, my sister, and so on and so forth. And it's interesting, the example the Lord used in, when I was laying on the floor to try to describe to me his point. And, he, and, and I, 
he, he began to talk to me about the Catholic Church. And he said to me, how many times is the Catholic Church split in 2,000 years? I didn't know, but I thought never. Since then, about a year later, I was preaching this, and a Catholic theologian came up to me and said, I love what you preach, but the Catholic Church is split three times. I'm like, that's awesome, three times in 2,000 years. And then the Lord said, I, so I said, I don't think ever. And the Lord said to me, how many times is the Protestant Church split? In 500 years. I'm like, hmm. No, is this a real question? Like, I don't know if this is like an entrance exam to like drive in heaven or... <laughs> And, you know, and, so, and then the Lord said to me, what does the Catholic Church call their leaders? Father. Now I understand, you know, I, I'm not Catholic. I just met with the Catholic Pope, so my, you know, my, my, my love and connection, obviously the more relationship you have with somebody, the more you tend to love them. So I'm, I'm understanding more and more. But my point then was, I'm not Catholic, but I understand that in 2,000 years, you know, they split three times and... In 500 years, you know, we've split, I don't know, thousands of times. I mean, how many times have we split in the last 30 days? That would be a great question if you could figure that out. And, you know, and so I, I began to lay on the floor. And these are not, just so you know, and the guys that have been with me since Weaverville, I mean, they would know this. Like, this is not a subject I'd ever been interested in in Weaverville. I have never thought about government, governance, any of those things. Like, there's not interests I ever had. And so, you know, part of the, I think when somebody... I know it's off subject a little bit, when, but people say, how do you know when God's talking to you? Well, when he's talking to you about things you've never been interested in, you don't know a thing about, and he uses long words that have more than two syllables, you're like, this is either the devil or God. And I don't think the devil's this smart. So I began to realize, like the Protestant, you know, we're... This this is like years. This is a few years later, but that I began to unfold some of this. But you know, we when Martin Luther nailed the ninety five theses on you know on the um, Catholic cathedral in Germany, he didn't. His concerns were not about social justice or about moral issues like you know gay marriage or homosexuality or abortion or any of those kind of things. They were theological issues. And I'm not saying he was wrong or right, so let me just say that I'm not sure he's wrong or right. I'm simply saying that Martin Luther and the whole Protestant movement was born in a disagreement. They were Protestants, and originally the word Protestant meant pro-Testament, as opposed to people who didn't read the Bible was kind of the connotation. But very soon, within months, pro-Testament meant protester. And the Protestant movement was born in a protest. I don't, I don't know how this works, but I do think that what you sow, you reap. And I'm not saying that everything that Martin Luther did was wrong. I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I really am not a Catholic. I'm not a historian at all. I, I like when other people get up and teach about it. Then when I ask where they get it, they give me a, books that, you know, there's 10 books in a set that all have about, you know, 500 pages or more. And I'm like, I just want to know where you got that cool thing. <laughs> How many of you are like that? Like, I don't want to read all that. I just want the cool story. So, so I, I, I really, I'm not qualified to say anything besides the overview of what happened. I don't actually understand why all of that happened. I mean, I, you know, I watched the movie Luther. I've sat with Dan Fairley where he corrected some of my ideas. 
And it's all good, you know. You have, you have to have, it takes all kinds of people in the body to actually have the mind of Christ. So I'm simply saying, I really am not commenting at all on whether Luther should have left, shouldn't have left, and I understand there's all kinds of corruption. And the Pope, you know, shared it with us, some of it with us in the meeting. But my point is, is that he left because he disagreed. And that, as for sure, created a foundation where we gather when we agree and we divide when we disagree. We, we, and the Lord said to me, now I'm back the first day, back on the floor almost 19 years ago, and the Lord said to me, I'm about to pour out revelation on this generation that have been held in the vaults of heaven for all of eternity, and the angels even long to know what I'm about to release on this generation. But he said, if I pour out revelation on this wineskin that people gather when they agree and they divide when they disagree, it will definitely rip the wineskin. And that's just a practical thing because how many understand when you, when you, um, when you get revelation, you typically think of things in a different way than anyone's ever thought before. And we all, we all know that there's the hu- human nature is to resist a new way of thinking. And so I, I began to um, just you know think about it and you know, take notes and teach about what the Lord was showing me about this whole thing of, of denominationalism. And as, uh, just, like, just like any truth, I, as, as time went on, I began to see that, that denominationalism wasn't just about how we related to other believers, but it also had everything to do with how we related to non-believers. For instance, what I'm getting at is that we moved from the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, go everywhere and preach the kingdom, and we've We've moved from that to the gospel of salvation, so we get everybody saved. And the way that we specifically get people saved is to believe the identical thing we believe. As a matter of fact, we have them repeat a prayer. I don't know if you think of us. I'm saying, you're like, is there anything wrong with that? That's how I got saved. Like, no, that's how I got saved too. I'm simply saying it's extra biblical. I mean, find any place in the entire Bible where someone repeated a prayer to find Jesus. And, you know, it's good and bad. I mean, the bad side of it is that there's people who repeated a prayer and never had an experience. And they think they, they, think they, had, they, think they know God because they repeated a prayer and someone told them, did you repeat the prayer? Yes, well, then you, have, you must have had the experience. The problem is, is that there are lots of people that repeated a prayer and never actually got born again. And part of the reason is the Bible never told us to repeat a prayer to find Jesus. They said, follow Jesus. <laughs> And so we have this, you know, we, we, have, we have all this mixture. And, and, and where I'm going, though, is, is, is a little bit different than that. What I'm saying is this, is that, is that it's pretty important to realize that the people in the first century did not have the New Testament. <laughs> and they loved God as much as you do. That Abraham never had a Bible. He didn't have a church. He didn't have a home group. He did pay tithes. He did pay tithes, but he didn't have a church, he didn't have a home group, and you know, he, he, he didn't have a Bible. He couldn't read his Bible every day. I, I, I know that I could be saying something that I'm not trying to say. I, you know, I, I'm so glad that we live in the, 20, in the 21st century. I'm glad that we live here because we can read our Bible every day. We can read it in 45. There's 45 translations of the, of the, of the Bible in English that I know of. Um, I think there's probably more, but uh, there's at least 45 that you can get right now. 
And you can read your Bible every day. You should read your Bible every day. And just so, because of the comments that I'm about to make, (laughs) I want you to know that I read my Bible every morning when I wake up and every night before I go to bed and lots of times in between, but I have made an agreement with God that I read my Bible every morning and every night. So, you know, I have a lot of people who will argue with me about the things I'm about to say who don't read the Bible once a week. So I've made it my life to read and study the Bible, not so I can teach, but so that I can, I can actually use it to guide my life and my relationship with Jesus. So I very much love the Bible. I want to be clear. It's, you know, I, I make a living writing books about the book. So I love the Bible. I'm just trying to bring, uh, bring a little clarity in, like, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? And so it's really beautiful that we have this emphasis on reading your Bible every day. Eric did a series on it uh, a while back. Uh, these, uh, they did a, um, actually a series on Bethel TV. And I want you to know, like, I'm all in for that. I, I'm in it. I, I'm, I'm all good. But the first century Christians didn't have a Bible to read. And if they did, they probably couldn't read anyway. And they didn't have a printing press. So when they went to church, and even in the Old Testament, I'm saying even the copies of the Old Testament were in scrolls in which you, go, went, to, you went to Sabbath you went to church and you sat there for hours and you were glad to do it because it's the only time you got to hear what God was saying to you. So people say, well, they taught from morning till night. Well, that's because nobody had a Bible. So you went, to, you, that might be the only time you hear the Bible for a week or two. Are you, are you with me at all? And, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going somewhere. So I want you just to, I know you don't know where I'm going. I'm doing that on purpose. I'm talking like a woman. This is how my conversations go with my wife. She takes me all the way around. I'm like, and the reward for listening is the point. (laughs) And the point is that. I didn't say it was wrong. I just said... (laughs) <laughs> it's all good so I speak to you in mysteries my only concern is this is being streamed I'm not concerned about you because you know me but I imagine this will be a great Facebook week but anyway Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, if you just for an instance, so when the Christ, when when Jews, I'm sorry. So you understand that the first century church, for the first about twenty to thirty years, was Judaism with the Holy Spirit superimposed over it. They didn't have a New Testament. Paul hadn't got saved yet. Peter was still trying to figure out what day it is. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit was falling on people. And what they had was the Old Testament. Are you following me? And so they go to the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit would fall on them, and they had spoken tongues, and things were happening to them. And then this crazy thing happened. Philip goes down to Samaria uh, when they got persecuted, and he begins to preach. And now Gentiles are getting saved. 
Okay, but these aren't Gentiles like American Gentiles or European Gentiles. These aren't Gentiles that have Judeo-Christian core values. These are Gentiles who were formerly Greek mythologists. Okay, so just so you know the difference, they wouldn't have known the story of Adam and Eve. I'm saying they wouldn't have known the story of Adam and Eve. They wouldn't have known who Abraham, Moses is. They wouldn't know the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. You understand, these people would have known about Hercules. They would have known about multiple gods. Okay, these people are getting saved. Remember, there's no Bible except for the Old Testament. So now they're getting saved, and the Jews, which basically the church before Samaria and and some of these different odd cities, if you will, non-Jewish cities, Rome, and then, you know, Roman cities and Greek cities. So you basically had Jewish cities, Roman cities, and Greek cities. Are you following me? Okay, so when these guys start getting saved, the Jews, who are still kind of the only people who know the Bible, so how many of you know who's leading the church? Well, people who actually know the Bible. They go, well, these guys got to keep the law because they hadn't figured all that out yet. Like, do they have to be circumcised? Do they... Do they have to, you know, keep a Sabbath day? Do they have to, you know, if they had it, like they didn't work, they hadn't worked that out. And that's their, that's how they had a relationship with God. So obviously, obviously they felt that was important. So now the amount of Gentiles that are getting saved is so huge that the Gentiles are beginning to outnumber the Jews. And so this becomes a really big deal because again, these are Gentiles that don't know a thing like they are not even introdu- they don't even know to not to disagree. Like they, like an atheist would go, I don't believe in the story of Genesis. They wouldn't know the story of Genesis. Are you following me? And so they wouldn't even know to agree to disagree. So they start getting saved, and there's a big council in Acts 15 where all the apostles. Can you understand? Like they call this meeting, and they have to literally take a ship. Probably took 90 days to get everybody there to this big council that there's a really big problem. And the really big problem is the Gentiles are getting saved, whom they didn't think could. So that's a big deal. Now they're like, okay, what do we do with all these Gentiles? Because we can't have them, you know, we can't give them like a copy of the New Testament because there is no New Testament. And, and so they begin to exchange experiences, which is, <laughs> I understand like you don't get your doctrine from experience, but that's how they got theirs. And so, you know, so they have Pharisees. Okay, if you, you have to read Acts 15, and I'm not going to read it to you tonight. But, so, but read the account. So Acts 15, the Pharisees now are the good guys, right? Okay, the Pharisees in the book of Acts, are, most of them are the good guys. They're the guys that are now leading the church, who are kind of the rabbis who actually know the Bible. And remember, not very many people know the Bible, so it's kind of cool to have a pastor who actually memorized the entire Old Testament. This is how they had to be. So, it, so these guys are now spirit-filled. It's good, but they still have, they're still trying to figure it out. So the rabbis that are Pharisees are saying, hey, these guys need these, these Gentiles. They need to get circumcised. They need to keep these rules. They need to have all this stuff. And so they get together and have all these, this meeting. And out of that meeting, Peter says, listen, I don't know. I was over at Cornelius' house. 
And the guys are like, you went to a, Jews, a Gentile's house? He goes, yeah, well, wait a second. Let me tell you how I got there. And he tells them this whole story about the sheet. Remember the sheet? Comes down, you know, kill and eat, all of that story. And he's like, and then Cornelius has this encounter with an angel. And the angel tells him, to, you know, gives him a word of knowledge. Actually, and says, go to this, the house by the deceased. He's staying at the Tanner's house, da-da-da. He, and by the way, while I'm talking to you, God's given him a vision simultaneously. It's like, he'll, he'll know what, what, what's happening. So that all happens, and they bring Peter to Cornelius' house, and, and Peter begins to talk to them about Jesus. Now, I don't know what you get from this, but just follow me for a minute. So Peter is sharing the salvation story with them, and he goes, now I know why, you're, why I'm here, and I understand the vision. And he begins to tell them about salvation. And it says, and while Peter is still teaching... The Holy Spirit falls on them. <laughs> I, 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 know, I, I know I'm going to offend a bunch of people, but I, I really am just retelling the story. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they begin to speak in tongues. Did you get it? While he's still teaching. So the Holy Spirit's like, they got enough. <laughs> now, I don't know if he taught. Literally, he could have been teaching for hours. Who knows? I mean... Literally, he could have taught for eight hours before that happened. But the point is, is that he, his teaching got interrupted with an experience. Now, I don't care if he taught for eight hours. He's no way he could have taught them all the gospel. So they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Da-da-da. Peter takes them down to the river and baptizes them. And you know the story. Anyway, so he's sharing that story with the brothers who have all come to decide what to do with the Gentiles. And Paul's like, Paul stands up and he goes, Silas and I have had the same experience. Barnabas and I. Barnabas and I have had the same experience. You know, and he begins to recount the miracles that, the, that God is doing among the Gentiles, specifically the Gentiles. So they're like, okay, let's write a letter to the Gentiles and let's tell them what we require of them. Because remember, the requirement they want is keep the entire Old Testament, which is, you know, 617 laws. And they write him a letter, and they give him four things to do. Three of them have to do with what not to eat. They don't say, read the Bible, pray every day. No, just give them these four things to do, really simple things. And it says, when the Gentiles heard that, the, that the, just the, when, they, when they received the letter, it says they received it with great joy. There's only one problem. So that's what they did. Okay, that's what actually happened. And that's what the Bible says. So there's no commentary there. That's just what happened. Here's the challenge. Now we get 30 more years from that point, right? And we have the Corinthians, the book of Corinthians. Am I boring you? Which is a Greek city. Okay? And you hear, and Paul writes to the Corinthians this. Now, I'm just going to... I'm actually not teaching on this. I'm teaching on... How important is it to have an experience? Okay, listen to this. So this is just, I'm just giving you a little sample. First Corinthians, I'm sorry. Yes, First Corinthians 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Now concerning the spiritual brethren, by the way, it says spiritual gifts, but the word gifts isn't in there. Because Paul's not teaching them at this point about the gifts. He's actually teaching them about the spirit world. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one, can, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You're like, what the heck does that mean? I'll tell you in a minute. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. A variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For one is given the word of wisdom, 
through the Spirit, through another word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, by another faith, by the same Spirit, to another healing, by the same Spirit. And he goes on like that. Same, 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 one, 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 same, same. You know why? Because these Corinthians are moving in the gifts of the Spirit, but they're polytheists. Polytheists, they believe in multiple gods. I'm saying they're following Jesus, and they're still polytheists in their theology. How do I know? Because Paul's teaching them the reason why he says, one God, one Lord, one baptism, one gift. Listen, many gifts, but one spirit. Now, let me tell you, those guys, some of you got a gift of prophecy. Another guy's got a gift of healing. Another guy's got a gift of miracles. It's awesome you guys are moving in that, but your theology's whacked. That's not three different gods. That's one God moving through all of you. Okay, now think about this. Is it easier to think when you pray? Think about if everybody got saved on the planet. Would would there be enough bandwidth in heaven for God to answer everybody simultaneously? Because think about it. Paul could be praying, Eric's praying, and I'm praying, and we could be in our houses praying about three different things, and God could literally hear, God literally does hear all of us and answer. Do you see how complex that is? You're moving in a gift, I'm moving in a gift, he's moving in a gift, and there's, there's 200 people in the prayer line moving in different gifts, and it's very difficult for the for the Greek mind to think all these things are happening and it's only one spirit? How does he think that fast? Are you with me? So Paul has to tell them the way you solve that, the way you see the spirit world is every single different manifestation is a different spirit. But that's not the kingdom you came into. The kingdom you came into only has one Holy Spirit. And it manifests differently in different people simultaneously at the same time. God is so smart, he can multitask to 7 billion people simultaneously and answer every one of their prayers and have a conversation with everybody simultaneously. That's how brilliant he is. You can imagine, see you grew up with that, so you probably didn't even think of that until I just told you. But the Greek mind was brought up with, I have my own spirit. He's a, you know, we would say a demon, but I have a spirit in me, you have a spirit in you, you have a spirit in you. And we have different spirits depending on what we do. Okay, why am I telling you all that? To say that people were having great experiences with God and had terrible theology. And they were believers. (laughs) And it didn't separate them from loving Jesus. So our way that we sift people, who's in and who's out, I believe very much in having experience with Jesus Christ and you can't get to heaven without having an encounter without being saved by Jesus Christ. Let me be clear. But I'm saying the way we sift who is in and who is out, (laughs) we're like, woo! And depending on how much you know, just the, you know, the screen keeps getting finer and finer and finer to like only certain people can squeeze through all these things we believe because they're like, you know, they're really thin and there's five million deep. And if someone doesn't teach all of that, we're like, they're not teaching the gospel. <laughs> I mean, Joel Olstein, how do you not like Joel Olstein? I'm serious. I mean, how do you not, how do you get mad at Joel? You know, when, when people write bad things about Joel, it makes me feel good. I'm like, if they don't like Joel, no wonder they hate me. If I'm down, I just turn Joel on. I'm like, I know Joel's going to have a good word. Well, you know, my mama used to say. 
I'm like, come on, tell me what your mama said. <laughs> this is denominationalism. This is it. This is like we just screen people through this system of theology that it just gets, you know, depending on how much you know. And the more you know, the more people you screen out. And I'm like, you wouldn't have made the first century. Because <laughs> you wouldn't have had all those screens. You wouldn't have the Bible. And you would have definitely come to church. And by the way, I don't know that they worshiped much in church. They sat for hours where people taught them the Bible because they never heard it before. Not to mention they were making it up as they go. I'm talking about they were supposed to. These are the apostles. <laughs> it just sounded different when, it, when I said it like that. I, I don't like, you know, okay, well... You know, there's a balance in everything. Like, I'm not a universalist. Like, everyone's going to heaven. Well, what the heck we need evangelists for then? Why did it say, and Peter preached and 3,000 got saved? What happened to the ones that didn't? I mean, you know, just people just say stupid things. And it's like, well, everybody's going to heaven. I'm like, that's not what Jesus said. You know, like, I don't know a lot, but I know that. And I'm not excited for people not to go to heaven. I'm just like trying to be true to what the scripture said and not try to like make up my own stories because I'm going to do that why don't I just throw the Bible away and just like you know start my own cult and make a bunch of money doing it I mean some people they get so far from the Bible I'm like why don't you just throw the Bible away write your own books you know I mean if you're just going to do that to the Bible it's like you know pretty soon you're, you're ordaining you know homosexuals that, that you, you know I mean it just it just gets ridiculous I'm like don't even believe, it just would be easier for me, to, for you to say, yeah, I like the Bible, but it's not my favorite book. But when you tell me you're following it, and then you make up your own stories, that bothers me. But on the other side of that is that there's people who just don't, they had an encounter with Jesus, they really do love Jesus, but they just don't know what the heck they're doing. That would be the whole first 50 years of the Christians. If you're going to, if you put the filters that we have in the 21st century on the first century Christians, I'm not sure the apostles would be saved. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I don't know if the apostles would be saved. So, you know, somebody gets up and, you know, it's a politician or it's a, you know, it's a, a religious leader, like, obviously, like, you know, the wonderful Pope uh, Francis, who I, I'm growing deeply in love with. These people, they get up and they say they love Jesus. I've had an encounter with Jesus and love Jesus. And we start to, like, sift through the, well, the list, you know, like, we, you, know, you didn't do this and you didn't keep that one and you didn't do that one and you think that way about that one. And you, I'm like, dude, if you're going to do that, then, you know, who, who's, who actually knows Jesus? You know, they didn't do it your way, so they're not in. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like, it kind of makes me sick, really. So on one side, people get so far out, they're like, everybody knows Jesus. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. It's a good thought. It just doesn't have to be true. On the other side, people find Jesus, and they don't have all the theology the way you do, and they get eliminated. You know, Joel Osteen's a great example of somebody who gets eliminated because he doesn't, quote, preach the gospel. Well, what the heck does he preach you? I listen to him all the time preaching out of the Bible. And people are like, he's not calling sin sinners. And, you know, it's like, he's doing what he's called to do, man. Leave him alone, you know. I mean, the God who made the redwoods also made the flowers. He loves them both. He thinks it's all amazing. No, you, no, you know, people, you know, I, I grew up in the full gospel. I don't think we were full gospel. We were just trying to make sure that everybody knew we weren't those guys. Doesn't everybody think they're full gospel? We're full gospel. Well, what the heck are we then? <laughs> You're the non-full gospel church. I mean, sometimes people create titles out of reaction to what they're saying to you. Like, we are full gospel. We are spirit-filled. Well, what spirit am I filled with? <laughs> you are not filled with the spirit, brother. Oh. Do you speak in tongues? Can you do that? No, you're not spirit-filled then. Okay, well, I thought I was. No, 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 you're not. You know, and I, you know I've been doing this a long time, so I, you know, hanging with, with everybody, I get it. I, I can speak the language. I can change languages. I speak multiple religious languages. <laughs> right? Most of the people have been on this front row, like, we can hang out with the evangelicals, and they say, da-da-da, and we're like, yeah, that's us, you know? Fundamentalists, you know? No fun and all mental. I, I've been, well, I've hang out with those people, too. I hang out with all the people, you know, the people that, you know, fall on the floor and roll around. I mean, you know, I'm comfortable with those guys, too. You know, they could kind of, you know, make up the Bible on the way, you know, just like, I had this dream. This is what this means. Oh, okay. Whatever. I'm not saying I'm good with it. I'm just saying you just gotta have you just gotta have discernment and just open your heart. So the other thing that uh, troubles me, I'm sorry, I'm a little ranting, huh? Yes, I am. I understand. I don't I could blame it on jet lag, but I do it when I'm fully <laughs> awake. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say now, so that probably was either age or jet lag. So, um, yeah. I, I think that we need, I think we need to like trust people's relationship with God. Even though it's not ours. It's not our relationship. It's not what we're called to do. We don't see that verse that way. Um, yeah, we only teach the positive. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't like suffering too much, so we don't talk about it. You guys talk about suffering? No, we do it, but we don't talk about it. <laughs> we call it suffering in silence. And we have this theory at Bethel: like if you talk about it a lot, it kind of increases it. So we read it, we write about it, we just don't talk about it a lot. Romans twelve. Um, I might as well read a verse. (laughs) 
Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For through the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service and serving, and he who teaches in his teaching. Um, the simple point I want to make here is when, you, you know, when he says, don't be conformed, be transformed, the point he goes on to make is that unity is not conformity, but it's a celebration of diversity. Unity is not conformity. It's a celebration of diversity. It's, for, it's me being a hand and celebrating that you're the foot. And not being jealous that you're the foot, or not, or not being mad because you can't do hand things. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, if I'm the hand, I can't do what the foot does. I'm not trying to do what the foot does. I'm not trying to be a foot when I'm the hand. I'm doing what I'm called to do. And there's so much pressure. The part, part of the challenge with denominationalism is there's so much pressure to be somebody else. To be full gospel like... And, you know, if I understand what full gospel means. I do. But there's no such thing as one person that's full gospel. You don't have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. It takes all of us to understand God. And then I would propose that we all don't all understand God all together. That we will we'll know more in the next 10 million years. But right now we're working on our, you know, we're cramming for our finals. And we're just working on... We're working on our relationship with God, and you get a little peace, and you get a little peace, and I get a little peace, and we put it together, and it's like, we're, you know, Revelation is a community garden. You, you, you know, someone said it takes a village to raise a child. It also takes a village to understand the God we serve. He's complex. I just explained a little bit to you, the God we serve is not human. I mean, the way, just think about what it, what, how brilliant a God is that can listen to 7.4 billion people praying and probably more on the other side of the veil, simultaneously answer all their prayers, hear every one of them, know their hearts, count their, the hairs on their head, and still have time to rest on a day. <laughs> I mean, that is a very complex, I'll say creature, and I mean it in a good way. God's a complex creature. He's not human. So... <laughs> the idea that some human is full gospel. <laughs> I mean, are, are you serious? Yeah, we're the full gospel. As opposed to y'all, you're only partial gospel. Okay. Whatever. There, there's something about us um, falling in love with what other people do, if you will. It's like the redwoods people need to fall in love with flowers. And the flower people can't look at the redwoods and go, you, you, you big, ugly tree? I mean, you guys have been the same for 300 years. Like, we reproduce every year. <laughs> you know? It's Okay. I know, I'm done saying things. I'm just talking now. Matthew eighteen nineteen, Jesus said, If two of you agree on earth about anything, 
which, you know, if you can get to. I mean, I understand why heaven moves. Like, if you can find two or three people who will agree with you, we will move on your behalf. <laughs> it will be miraculous. <laughs> Have you ever read it that way? You're like, again, I say to you, if two of you or three agree about anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. I just think it's like Jesus saying, if I can just get two of you to actually agree about something... We will definitely send you angel help. Wow. That word, the Greek word, agree, comes from the word, I'm sorry, I, I don't know, I barely know English. But it's a word, it's S-U-M-P-H-O-N-E-O, and it's the word we get our word symphony from, symphonio. Like, it's the word we get our word symphony from, the word agree. Like, if you, when you actually agree with people, you create beautiful music. There's something about just harmonizing with a brother who's singing a little different song. Or singing it a little different way. He's a little bit country and you're a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> On May 27, 1989, Paul Harvey reported that blue whales actually sing. The biggest mammals in the world don't speak, but they do sing. And that's not all the story. The rest of the story is that blue whales sing the same song at the same time all over the world. It's reported that blue whales not only sing the same song, they also change tunes in perfect harmony. And he explained that when the Pacific Ocean blue whales change their tune, tests have proven that the song changes the blue whales in Atlantic also. As if there's a mastermind orchestrating the music. What if the Lord is singing the reconcile song? I mean, I'm just saying, because you know what? A lot of things that are called the unity of the Spirit don't really have anything to do with the Spirit. Because Paul said in, uh, second, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 4 actually, he said, preserve the unity of the Spirit. He didn't say create it. So our idea of the unity of the Spirit is, it means we all agree about the Bible. And I'm like, I think we should all agree about the Spirit. See, think about this. When Paul's talking about the unity of the Spirit, he actually means if the Spirit that's in Eric is in Paul and Tom and me and Kathy and Lance and Joaquin, if the same Spirit is in us, you don't have to create unity. There's only one Spirit. Think about this. If there's only one Spirit and the same Spirit's in me that's in Paul and he has the mind of Christ... And I have the mind of Christ. I don't have to create unity. It feels weird for us to not be unified. Are you with me? So I'm saying when God says preserve the unity of the spirit, he's not talking about doing projects together. Although it's all great. Like Eric and Nathan and some of the team, that, you know, we're getting together to do stuff together in the city and, and, and worship together. Listen, I'm all for that. I'm simply saying that's an expression, but the unity of spirit doesn't begin with doing things together. And the fact that you can't get along doing things together doesn't mean that you don't have the unity of the spirit. It, 
The unity of the Spirit is just something that happens naturally because we're all the same Spirit, and that's, that Holy Spirit affects the way we think, and we all have the mind of Christ. And the difference is, is that the part of the mind of Christ that you have and the part that I have are all a little different. And that's what gives us the mind of Christ. We, corporately, have the mind of Christ. Are you with me? So I want to just finish this one, this, this passage John 14, you want to just turn there. I just have 10 minutes, so I will be done. and You can go home and see if you can put this together. You know, some of my messages, there's some assembly required. (laughs) I have people come up to me all the time and go, I love Bill's teaching. Your teaching? (laughs) I have a hard time following you. I'm like, I know, I have a hard time following me also. So John 14, do not, uh, uh, verse 1, sorry. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. Speak, Jesus is obviously speaking this. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you'll be also. You know where I'm going. Thomas said, you know, Thomas should have just not talked in the Bible, because every time he talks, he's like, he's, just, he's the guy in the Bible that just says the wrong thing every time. I doubt it. I don't think so. I won't believe it. I don't know where you're going. Like, Thomas is the ultimate pessimist. Thomas said, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, how long have I been with you? <laughs> I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, <laughs> this is to Thomas, Thomas, if you had known me, you'd know the Father. <laughs> okay, from now on you know me. No, from now on you know him, and you've seen him. Did you get that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. Also, from now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Philip said Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. <laughs> These guys, you know, obviously not getting it, right? Jesus said, Have I not been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me? Okay, here we go. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, they are not my words. I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does... Let me start over. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And the greater works shall he do because I go to be with the Father. Okay, let's just, uh, I'm just going to finish this last idea. So, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and the Father's going to be there. And they're like, okay, um, yeah, I'm not getting that. We're, yeah, we're not getting that at all. Um, can you show us the Father, and that'll just be enough for us. We'll work it all out from there. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you don't believe me on account of the works I do, then believe me on account of the, I mean, the words I do. Sorry. If you don't believe me on account of the words I speak, Believe me on account of the works I do, because the works I do, they're not my works, they're the works of the Father, working through me. And by the way, those same works will be working through you when I go to be with the Father. Got it? Okay. 
First of all, let's be clear. Jesus is not the Father. Because when Jesus got baptized, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. He wasn't talking to himself. But there is celestial unity. Right? So Jesus is in the Father. The Father's in Jesus. The Holy Spirit's in the Father. The Father's in the Holy Spirit. You get the idea. So that once you put them together, you can't separate them. The color purple is a great example. I don't know who's wearing purple tonight, but whoever it is, we know that that color is, bl- that color is red and blue put together. But once you put those two colors together, you can't separate them. Right? So they manifest as a unity, but they're actually separate individual colors that have become a unity. Are you with me? Okay, now let's go to uh, chapter 17. And we're going to jump into the middle of Jesus' prayer because it's actually a whole chapter long. And I have five minutes. John 17, verse 20. This is Jesus is praying for his disciples. This is actually the Lord's prayer. This is the prayer that the Lord actually prayed for his disciples, and then he added us in later, into the prayer. He said, and also all of those who will believe through their testimony. So, verse 20. I do not ask on, a, on behalf of these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, which is us, that they may be one, even as the Father is in you, even as you, Father, start over, even that, even that they may be in one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are also one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love me, even as you love them. Okay, this verse is very interesting because it's being used a lot for the unity of the body. And I believe in that. I do. I believe in the unity of the body. I even believe that this verse applies, but not in the way it's often taught. Because the way we get unified is we're unified in the Spirit. So there's nothing in here that says, you're in me and I'm in you. That does not unify us. I'm saying, you and I getting along is not the unity of the Spirit. Us getting along is the unity of the Spirit. Because it's the unity of the Spirit. So he says, Father, okay, so think about it. This is a takeoff from chapter 14, where they go, I'm the, they say, show us the Father. He's like, the Father's, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Okay. I don't get that. Okay, well, you know these works I do? Yes. Those are the works of the Father. I don't initiate anything. The Father that's in me does these works. So when you see the works, that's not me, that's the Father. Okay. So I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And so we're a unity. So if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Not because I'm the Father, but because the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. And by the way, if you've seen the Father, then you've seen the Son, because the Son's also in the Father. Listen, this is the complicated God you serve. This is how he can talk to 7.4 billion people simultaneously, because you have a God who actually is beyond your ability to comprehend with your mind. Okay, now let's fast forward. Now Jesus is praying for them. He's talked to them three chapters earlier, which probably represents a month ago. And he says to them, okay, Father, I pray. Listen, I really want them to be one. Now he's not talking about with each other. Because you can catch the prayer. Father, the way you're in me, and I'm in you, I want them to be in us. 
that we would be in them and they would be in us. That the world may know that they love one another. What's he saying? The way you and I work it out is for us to work it out. Because when I come into the kingdom, I receive the Holy Spirit that has given me the mind of Christ, the same Holy Spirit that gave you the mind of Christ. And I'm saying, if, I'm, if I stay right with God, I'm going to be right with you because the nature of one spirit is, if I don't violate my relationship with the spirit and you don't violate your relationship with the spirit, then we are naturally one because there's only one spirit. Are you with me? It's not doing things together that make us one. That's all good. That's a manifestation of the Spirit in us. But the prayer is for, Father, you, the way I'm in you and you in me, like I just demonstrated in chapter 14 to the boys, that you're in me and I'm in you, and that's how I do these works, because you're the worker of miracles, and I am not. So when, you, when I do miracles, it's you working through me. And then I told them, hey, when I leave, the Father will be working through you too. In fact, you'll even do greater works than me. So now, Father, I want to pray that what I just told them would actually happen. That I'm going to go away, and you're going to be in them, and I want them to be in you. And that's why there is a difference between the filling of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, because when you get filled with the Spirit, the Spirit's in you. But when you get baptized in the Spirit, you're in Him. It's the completion of John 17, that I would be in them, and you would be in us, and they would be in us, and we would be in them. So what? So you've received Jesus and the Spirit comes in you. That's John 20. But Acts 1 is, wait, you've already been filled with the Spirit. I breathe on you and I said, receive the Holy Spirit. And you receive the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to wait for what the Father promised, which is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's in you, but I don't want you to preach yet until you're in Him. And I'm saying, this is the unity of the Spirit. It's not that we agree on doctrine. It's that we, have, we agree, we have a symphony with the Spirit, and we're all singing the same song, whether we're in the Atlantic or the Pacific. And when the song changes, we all change together because the orchestra, the, the conductor of the orchestra, the same conductor, only one conductor lives in us all. And after 500 years of disunity and hatred and bitterness and all the things that we've all done on both sides of that Catholic Protestant fence, God goes, time to change the song, tell the whales. (laughs) We're changing the song. And what's the song? And we're all going to sing the same song now. We're going to sing the same song. And he puts a pope who wasn't even thought to be in the lineage of the popes. In Francis, he baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. Years before, in Argentina, he puts them in the sea, and the man, like Bill Burns for the supernatural and healing and signs and wonders, this man is possessed with unity. He's possessed with it. He's like, I just want us all. He said it several times, several different ways, through the translator in two hours. I want everybody to move together. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. Everyone who names the name of Jesus and who experienced the Father's love. I want us to not just go along. I want us to get along. And why not? Why not after 500 years? 
why not stop saying, we got the gospel, we're full gospel, and we're doing it all right. And you guys have been trying for 2,000 years and haven't done as good as we have. I mean, after all, we're planting churches everywhere. That's what we call church splits. Stan, I want to pray for you all. I like having a counter, but I don't a counter, but I don't like when it goes negative. <laughs> it turns a different color too. It's like, hey, stupid, you're over. Can you put your hand on your heart, please? And why don't we just pray together, Jesus? I want to be a believing believer. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to fall in love with you every day, over and over. And because I'm in you, and you're in me, and you're in my brother, and you're in my sister, therefore, I want to love people who are different than me. And I want to love people I don't understand. I want to get along with people and value people who think differently than me. And maybe understand you differently. And God, help me to love those who don't know you. Who are in darkness. And they're looking for a great light. Teach me how to love people. And, st- and still have virtues and values that I can hold dear and yet I can love through that filter with my whole heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.